Today on Hero Talk. Yay. <laughs> Did she say yay? <laughs> I like how he plays. This is Darian, your resident string player. And this is Angela, your certified brass player. And this is Hero Talk, where we talk about real life and real women in music. Hey, heroes. Today with us is international piano soloist and Donna ambassador, Antonio Oyarzabal. He focuses on performing works by women, and his 2020 album, La Muse Oubliée, was given five stars by the BBC Music Magazine and was selected as one of the top five best piano albums of 2021. And we are so excited to have you here with us today, Antonio. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm so excited to be with you. Yes, we're excited to have you. Yes, you are our first uh, male interviewee. Yeah, <laughs> exciting times. That's exciting. Yeah, we're so we're actually really excited to have you here. Um, I think this is a really cool opportunity for people to hear about what uh, men are doing for women in music. Yeah, absolutely. How do you feel about that kind of responsibility in a way? Um, I don't think too much of it, or I try not to because of um, the pressure. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just, you know, I, I just feel committed to what I'm doing and and love what I'm doing, and and you know, there is so much more to be done, whether it's female or male performers mm -hmm. so I don't think too much of my gender but I I do think it is very important actually mm -hmm. when taking a moment um, to realize that uh, more male performers act in the same way and and put a bit of care in their programming and and select a little bit more diversely and, and join the join the course because there is so much more to be done mm -hmm. but I guess I don't think so much um, about whether um, what I'm doing has anything to do with my own gender. Yeah. Any I like sense. that. Yeah. Um, I'd yeah. love to know, and uh, our listeners as well, more about your background in music. Yes. So I come from Spain, um, from a region called Basque Country in, in the north. Um, and that's where I started in my school with a nun, with a sister Cecilia, which nice. felt really appropriate because of Saint Cecilia. And uh, she gave me the most important thing, which is the love for music. And then after she passed, uh, I carried on more um, seriously or professionally into conservatoires and eventually going to Bachelor of Music or like the the uni degree uh, in a city called San Sebastian, which is beautiful. And then uh, when it was time to course my master's, I was in doubt whether I should go to Paris because, because I had worked with a, with a teacher from there many years, um, or whether I should go to Geneva, which was also attractive in Switzerland or London. And I did all these, you know, auditions, and eventually had to decide. Okay, what do I, what do I want as a, as a whole? Also, you know, what the, what the cities can offer, 
culturally, etc. And I ended up here in London. Mm-hmm. I went to the Guildhall School of Music and Drama and uh, caused my master's degree. And after that, I did another specialization called uh, Artist Diploma. Mm-hmm. And I stayed here. Yeah. I was wondering, um, how was that change from, you know, coming from Spain and moving to London? How, how did the music scene change for you? It was, um, it was a bit scary in the beginning because you know, also there was a bit of a language barrier. Mm-hmm. I would feel like I could communicate, but not like as good as other other mates uh, here. And I did feel at the beginning, okay, if I don't uh, improve my language, I'm not going to get nowhere near as many opportunities professionally in the institution mm-hmm. as the others are getting. So that plus, you know, friendships, etc., made me... gradually become but it was a bit scary perhaps because of that Um, I was very fortunate to have traveled a lot when I was a kid uh, and and young and and so in that way London didn't feel that scary it was more the language thing do you have any words of wisdom for anyone who has who's changing location for music reasons and has language barriers um (laughs) just (laughs) <laughs> just involve yourself socially as much as possible I think that that makes it really it, for me it was the the groups of friends relationships etc who and I always say this is like a funny thing I always say for me like you know when you're in a relationship mm-hmm. making um, being able to argue in an other <laughs> and like you know, I really want to say this thought and reply because I am in the right and all of that makes me quit. <laughs> and that helped me a lot. Not to say that that's a piece of advice. But, uh. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Yeah. Speak your mind and be confident about yeah, it. Yeah, that's what we're getting out of this. <laughs> that sounds much better. <laughs> I love it. So Hero is kind of, it's, it is a baby uh, mm-hmm. company. It's almost a year old. Um, how did you hear about us from so far away? I think it was through socials, okay. uh, through Instagram. We're doing and our then, job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then I became very interested in what your conference was about mm-hmm. and how attractive, appealing it all sounded. And I thought, oh, I might be able to put a little bit of me in here if they're interested. Mm-hmm. And then I connected with Darian and, and it was instantly very good connection communication-wise. And yeah, here we are. <laughs> That makes me feel good. We we got our name yeah, out there. So <laughs> so that's one of the good things about social media. <laughs> yes, true. Um, so w- one thing I also wanted to ask you about is, first off, how did you decide to pursue music and specifically focus on pieces by female composers? Yes, um, it was quite a natural process. It wasn't like I woke up one day and thought I'm going to dedicate myself to repertoire written by female or women composers, but it was more, um, I felt very lucky actually that uh, despite how the the atmosphere of, um, you know, how history of music is taught in conservatoires or uh, how, you know, half of history, it doesn't quite appear in the textbooks, etc. Mm-hmm. and recordings at the time also. Um, despite all of that, I did have very good teachers, um, women, by the way, that, that were really good in sort of including, for instance, 
I was uh, 13 when I was playing pieces by Jacques Delaguerre in, mm-hmm. at the harpsichord yeah. um, because I also did a little bit of harpsichord. And then um, later on, I was so in love with French repertoire with, for instance, Poulenc and Ravel. And, and so I was also studying Thai Fair and I was also learning some pieces by Lily Boulanger. Um, I knew about Chaminade, for instance, from very young. Love her. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so these pieces were in my repertoire. I was playing a lot of chamber music with a cellist, with um, pieces by, and also violist by uh, Rebecca Clark, of course. Mm-hmm. And that piece is so mainstream and is, you know, it's one of the best pieces ever written for viola. Mm-hmm. Um, or, for instance, Henriette Bosman's Cello Sonata, which is uh, this Dutch composer, she was great. And both pieces, uh, the Viola Sonata and this Cello Sonata, are from 1919. So they had a lot in common. We put a program with that. What I'm trying to say is all of that was in in my programs without me thinking whether they were written by women or not. But I, I am aware that I was very lucky with yeah. that. And so eventually, um, with realization and going more into it and with research, I decided, okay, I could do a bit more uh, here and I really want to do a bit more. And that's how my program became a CD, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love this natural approach you have yeah. to programming music. And then you're, you noticed it and now you're bringing it into... It was like normalized yeah. just yeah. For, as you as a student. Um, I feel like that's very rare, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, that you had such an organic, um, what's the word, uh, exposure to the music without really thinking about it. How does that make you feel? Does um, expanding the classical canon to incorporate more female composers, do you think that starts in the classroom, like when you're studying music, or do you think that starts on the stage? Because for you, it seems like it started maybe in, <laughs> in your uh, classroom experience as a pianist. Yeah, well, I, I think it's very important in early childhood pedagogy mm-hmm. uh, to start including it in the most normalized manner. But we don't always get the privilege to be teaching in that way in that certain age mm-hmm. or age group. So what I do with my students, for instance, is um, at the school I teach at, which is by the way, all boys, I have like 20 boys students. <laughs> they know that every year we put a concert called Unsilenced and they are they're all gonna play music by women and it's uh, it is it is um, yeah and it is a special occasion and it will be so until it finally doesn't have to be yeah right because it's so normalized as it should be but in the meantime they're also reflecting and they're also learning a lot of this music that otherwise is not necessarily played or performed and they are understanding how important it is to bring it to stages and learn it as they do learn their Mozart and their Haydn, and, mm-hmm. you know. I love that you're sharing that with your students too. That's really great. Yeah. So. Well, I find it, I, I find it vital. Mm-hmm. Like if we want to see change, we need to teach this. Yeah. Um, and what sometimes frustrates me is that it is actually not that hard to, to look <laughs> a little bit beyond and find all these choices of mm-hmm. repertoire. I know finding the scores is not the easiest, yeah. but you know, we yeah. all know that here, but um, we're also happy to help and, and give tools and, you know. Yeah, it's great that nowadays there are more and more lists coming up of women 
composers and musicians. Mm -hmm. And how do you approach new music, especially if let's say there's not a recording of it or you, you know, because I know you've been playing, you've performed music that hasn't been performed, that hasn't really been studied. How do you start that learning process? Uh, well, it depends. For instance, um, some of it comes as very precious discoveries, like um, this piece by Abril Coleridge-Taylor, the, the daughter of Samuel Coleridge-Taylor. Mm-hmm. I found it um, because I'm researching on British women composers at the British Library. And it's really cool because you go there and you can select so many scores yeah. and that otherwise you will never find and all these archives and it's very very exciting and in the process of that I did find pieces like that you know reflect a bit what you just said that has never been recorded that piece the nocturne by by Abril Coleridge Taylor so for instance that um, eventually I think okay what can I do with this I can invest in a very good video uh, audio and video and professionally release it and or else I put it on a on a note for future CDs, um, and that's what happened with my Latin American Women Composers album, which comes out at the end of this month. Exciting. It was so, yeah, it's so so much research behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you think it starts in the research before you even start playing it? I think it starts with curiosity. Yeah. In all honesty, mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, if you don't have that, I find it very difficult that you're going to motivate something within you that will end up finding this. I don't know. Yeah. And playing it with like actual passion for the music. Yeah. Yeah. And treating it uh, with the same love and care as you would put into a shop and nocturne. Yes. Because unless you give the credit to it, you know, you need to start giving the value and the respect that it deserves. Mm-hmm. And then it actually glows and and it becomes a jewel that you just discovered. Yeah, I love that. Um, so I'm really curious about um, how you perform and like your musical influences personally that have kind of developed your sound. Um, so uh, as I said earlier, like I am always um, in love with French repertoire. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love Debussy and Ravel and Poulenc. Poulenc is probably my favorite composer. Mm-hmm. And also Taifer, um, Shaminat Melbonese. Mm. I'm really liking this taste. <laughs> <laughs> I just always love that kind of approach and I felt very comfortable with it. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know if regionally, because uh, Basque Country, where I said I'm from, is actually part Spanish, part French. So it's like, I don't know, we do have some connections because of my upbringing with this teacher from Paris as well. Um, Yeah, so I would say um, studying those pieces of repertoire and and researching on that is the biggest influence. Yeah, Mm. thanks. Yeah. Well, Antonio, we're super excited to meet you. Um, You're coming to the Hero Conference. Um, Darren, can you talk about a little bit what he's going to do at the Hero Conference? Yeah, so you're going to be playing with the Hero Ensemble, which we're super excited about, and you're going to have a lecture recital. Can you tell us about what you're hoping to bring to the conference as a performer? Right. Um, First of all, I'm so excited to perform with Hero Ensemble. That is like the icing of the cake. And (laughs) that uh, Can we reveal the piece that it will be? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. 
So because this year is the 100th or centenary, basically, of the composer Madeleine Drink from London, um, we decided that it would be really cool um, to perform her festival overture, which sounded really appropriate and it's so much fun uh, to start the conference and open this big, big event that we are going to do all together. And it's a great chance to also honor her. Mm -hmm. It also felt really appropriate because one of the most important specialists on Madeleine Drink, Wanda Brister, works at your uni. So <laughs> we take the chance to invite her, I guess, through here. Yeah. And, and then with the solo recital, um, I'm hoping to bring um, pieces from my album and perhaps from a second part to my album which I'm planning to record in February so obviously by then I would be able to select pieces from one and the other and, and bring something fun and very varied for sure we can comment on the pieces we can discuss after as well mm -hmm. and I'm always so happy to approach people and discuss what did they like so much about it or what revelations came to their to them when listening to it yeah I'm really excited I love lecture recitals actually because I feel like you create such dialogue with the performer mm -hmm. do you, how do you feel about lecture recitals versus like a normal recital well um <laughs> I must say <laughs> I because I'm more on the side of performing than actually giving lectures it, even the name brings a little bit of of a uh, <laughs> throwing you into the I, fire. <laughs> yes, I, when I when I remember that this is conversational and and it's not about proving anything but rather sharing with with everyone there, uh, it becomes very exciting. And yeah, I, I just I'm in love with my programs and mm -hmm. I know about them. So I just I would love to share to share everything. I love that. Yeah, we're happy to yeah. hear it. I know. Bring it on. And. <laughs> Like I mentioned earlier in our little intro that you're an ambassador for Donna. Um, when did you start working with them and what is that like? Uh, this was, I think, 2020. Um, and I was in preparation for my CD. Yeah, my, yeah, I think it was already a preparation for my album, La Musique But also I started compiling this sort of catalog on Instagram trying to give this use a little bit uh, to, to, to social media as well as we are all on it all the time. Sure. Um, so, um, yes, this is a catalogue on women composers and we are on our way to 800 in the form of pin stories to mm -hmm. the profile, uh, which started really, really casually with just like a picture, just because I think uh, putting a face to someone is really important as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Started like that, and it became more and more. Um, it, it grew, and it has more information about them, etc. And now I also share it on Twitter. And um, because of all the work, um, Donne noticed me. We started chatting and collaborating. I also helped them with a with something called the big list, which is something on their website that includes over 5,000 wow. women composers. It's mm -hmm. crazy. And I remember I was in charge of letter C or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, because of all the work and my albums and my future projects that they knew of, mm -hmm. um, they decided to give me the title of Ambassador of Done and I work closely with them. I love yeah. that. Um, 
do you i don't know if they have any other ambassadors do you get to work with them if they do yeah yeah so they have um at least 10 ambassador ambassadors oh. or something and in fact um one of them or two of them as a as a team is piano music she wrote which is uh, i don't know if you've heard uh, there are two women from Canada and the U.S. that do an amazing job in in cataloging or uh, all pieces for piano written by women that are available through IMSLP, and they divide them into levels and things like that, and and they make really easy access to them, but also release videos. Um, on some of the pieces, and I'm now actually a partner also with them, so. As that. you said, we that collaborating together. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if anyone listening doesn't know what uh, Donna is, it's it's kind of like a what they're like the almost like a hero version in <laughs> in Europe. They're a woman. Yeah. They advocate for women in music, um, and they do. They have a kind of a similar mission to what we do in a way, but way more established. Been around a little bit a lot longer. <laughs> but they've been a while, uh, they've been around a while, and and they do quite a lot of big things mm-hmm. on the matter. But, but yeah, it's a similar thing for sure. Yeah, which I love. Um, maybe one day we get to work with them. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Anything else you would like to talk about today, Antonio? Um, no, I'm just very excited to hear <laughs> with you. Sorry, I may be boring. I guess. No, 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 <laughs> not at all. No. I, I guess I do have one, uh, one more question. What is your recording process like? You seem to be very... You seem to record quite often. You have a number of albums because you already yeah. released an album of 2021 and you've released one uh, this year. Uh, how do you stay on top of recording so often and what does that process look like for you? It's very difficult. Um, for instance, at the moment, I am actually, I've pushed for, for the Latin American Women Composers album, which was recorded in various stages last year. And that was easier um, because I did have the means of accessing the same venue, the same piano. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's very important. The same ways, the same mics, same engineer, blah, blah, blah. Uh, just divided in three stages. And so that makes my life easier, basically. Mm-hmm. But I'm already pushing for this album to come out because I know all the next months are so packed with things. And I'm recording in February a second part to La Musulier. Mm-hmm. And I'm now learning all the pieces like, like crazy, yeah, you know. Um, it's just a lot of hours at the piano. I just I wish I had another way of saying it. But, you know. How do you know when a piece is like ready and you're like, that was the recording? Like, what is that? For, what is that moment like for you? Well, uh, in the beginning, that took much longer. I needed like not only to learn them and by heart and all the rest of it, but also perhaps bring them to a concert and be being able to, to share them with an audience. And then it would feel that, okay, I've done that. I've passed that sort of, I crossed that bridge and now I am able to bring it to, to a recording studio. Mm-hmm. But now um, things go faster, but I do, I do realize that I also improved with experience and I do feel it's readier earlier on. I don't know. It's just a feeling. This is ready. It feels. Um, I think I know. I notice when physically, it's all very embedded in my gestures. I don't know mm-hmm. how to. You are you are at one with the piece physically. 
That's not makes that. sense. Yeah. I, I just know that um, for me, when I'm recording, you know, you, classical musicians can be such perfectionists and you're like, oh, I could get that better. I could get that better. And nothing's ever perfect. And I, I just was curious how you battle with probably that same feeling. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a feeling that when you feel physically and also, of course, mentally, but something is almost choreographed and it, it will just happen. Mm-hmm. You've learned it well enough then then you do feel it physically yeah and I guess before we move on to the trivia um anything that any words of wisdom for any men who are approaching music by female composers since it's something I think that needs to be handled with at least respect yes well I don't know if I have a word of wisdom but I I will have a, a plea of please don't include it as a sort of washing your hands and that's done. You I know agree. what I mean? Sometimes yeah. I'm seeing, I'm seeing uh, in lots of colleagues, uh, perhaps in social media, and it is quite frustrating. More and more concerts where, for instance, recently I saw one that the title was something about Clara Schumann and it didn't have basically no Clara Schumann. It, it had... <laughs> I mean, yes, some of the dedications perhaps of, of Robert and, and other composers were for Clara, but you, you shouldn't just use it, the, the labor that we are all fighting so hard for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it should be a little bit more genuine than that. Okay. Um, and that's just an example, but I've seen many, many programs that will, you know, include just one piece for the sake of it. And then mm-hmm. they, they, um, just like checking out the DI. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And from your own point of view, what challenges do you think women still face and how can men help? Wow. Um, that's a big question. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, because I think, I think that's a very sensitive topic. I think if we really look into it, um, women are still facing those issues in every single aspect. Like, mm-hmm. No matter, no matter how much we improve. And it's nice to be able to recognize improvement and not to demonize people yeah. just for... I, I try to look at things positively, but at the same time, it is quite insulting if you don't admit your own privilege as a male citizen. Yeah, <laughs> and, performer. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I just feel humble about it. I don't know. I just do my own thing and try to try to help, you know. Yeah, and I, I, that's why I love your, pretty much what you're doing with your career. I think it's because one of the things I think about Hero and probably other groups like Donna, trying not to make it like a women's club. Like everyone should want to normalize this music, study it because it has been so underrepresented. And I love what you're doing as um, with your career and as a performer. I think it's really inspiring for a lot of especially a lot of male performers who might think, oh, I'm not allowed to play this music. And I think you're showing them that they can and that they can do it well and they can do it with respect and with excitement as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, it's important to not pay attention to every comment. Um, Once or twice I've had a couple of responses. You might not believe it, but like saying this video is very good but actually is filtered by the fact that you are a man mm. and this was written by a female composer and I 
And that it is frustrating because yeah. when you do put a lot of commitment, as you know, I mm-hmm. do want, you know. Um, I mean, the and it's why... not. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I mean... yeah, no. Carry yeah. on, sorry. Yeah, the reason why we were trying to, like, you know, put women composers is just to expand the canon. Yeah. It's kind of sad that you get those kind of comments when you're just trying to do it the natural. Best trying to help us out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah. But so one, I suppose the word, words of wisdom you were saying earlier, it's to try and, you know, carry on your path and not to pay 100% attention to that yeah. kind of thing that mm-hmm. will happen anyway. It just happens. Sure. Ignore the haters, honestly. Haters no matter what. <laughs> you don't deserve them. I can tell that you really embody the music. You get excited about it. You do your research and you just, you're just trying to pay homage to some great music that hasn't been performed. And I, I exactly. totally respect you for that. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I'm so glad. Yes, I love it. All right. So before we end out our little uh, talk today, we have some trivia questions. Oh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yes, we always try to end on a fun note. So Angela's going to ask you three questions and me three questions, and we will just see who knows better trivia. <laughs> who knows their history? Okay. Antonio, question number one. Um, who was the pianist who commissioned Ravel for the concerto for the left hand? Um, is the uh, the guy that lost his left hand in war. Um, Challenging your remember. piano history. <laughs> oh, God. I feel so unprepared now. Um I can give you uh, um, like a letter hint of his name. Yes, please. Um, first letter of his first name is P. Uh, Paul, um, yes. Love um... you. <laughs> uh, it's okay. You got the, You know it. You so know it. I know he commissioned several pieces and then others wrote as well. And obviously the most successful is the Ravel left, left hand concerto. But... Um, Ah, I feel so bad. It's in the tip of my tongue. Sorry. No, you're good. You got it. I mean, you got Paul, so it is Paul. Which we'll give it to you. <laughs> you got. It. That's it. so embarrassing. No, no. no. <laughs> I have not known things about my own instrument in our past <laughs> trivia. Got her one time. It was great. Uh, question number two. Which female composer began her career as a renowned concert pianist? I'll give you a multiple choice. Was it A, Amy Beach, B, Ethel Smythe, or C, Jennifer Higdon? I think it's Amy Beach. It is Amy Beach. Okay. This one is kind of a fun one. Um, I learned about this recently, uh, but question number three. Which acclaimed composer did Glenn Gould feature in a television um, broadcast arguing that they were in fact a bad composer was it oh yeah was it a mozart b beethoven or c Mahler? right was this glenn gould yes uh Mahler? uh it was mozart actually <laughs> yeah, he had this whole presentation about and like excerpts from his music on why it was bad it, oh wow. i didn't know that more you know i guess and he, this was broadcasted on tv <laughs> on tv wow like he was 19- very passionate 1960 something <laughs> oh wow they're there yeah that's amazing a hater of mozart so we're all gonna get haters even mozart yeah. 
Uh, I know. At least, at least well, you should, you know, wait when, when he's alive to defend himself. Oh, true, true. <laughs> exactly. I love it. All right, my turn. You got two out of three. Ooh, all right, Darian. Question number one. Mm-hmm. Which composer composed Fanfare for the Uncommon Woman, which is a response to Aaron Copeland's Fanfare for the Common Man? <laughs> um, multiple choice. A, Joan Tower. B, Jennifer Higdon. C, Julia Wolf. Did we just talk about this? Uh, no. Uh, no. Well. Is it Julia Wolf? No. No? Joan Tower. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Did she say yay? <laughs> I like how he plays. <laughs> no, this is good. Um, I just love that piece. I love the piece. It's so I good. thought it was Joan Tower, but I thought we just talked about this yesterday, and I was like. That's where I got you. I know. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. You know, uh, Marin also is programming it with with the Copeland one, and it really works. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's a great one. Okay. Question number three. Mm-hmm. Which composer composed the March of the Women that became an anthem of the suffrage movement? Was it A. Ethel Smythe, B. Charles Ives, C. Clara Schumann? Ethel Smythe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know my Ethel Smythe. Oh, I'm proud of you. <laughs> All right. This one might be hard, might be easy. Um, we'll see. Um, question, last question. <laughs> Julia Wolfs, we're back on Julia Wolf. Okay. 2018 World Fire in My Mouth, the piece depicts which American labor tragedy? Labor tragedy? A labor tragedy. Around, it was a labor tragedy around 1911, I think. Um, was it the radium thing? Maybe because wasn't that during that time? Uh, I think so. Oh Not shit! That. <laughs> was it that fire? I don't know. In... What was yeah. it? Yeah, it's the Triangle Shirt Waist Factory Fire of 1911. Yeah. I didn't know back, about that. Yeah, back in the day, bosses like I guess could lock their workers, and there was a fire, and the women couldn't get out, and so they oh wow, passed away. I was just, I was trying to think of like a something that affected women. I know like the radium yeah. painters, and I was mm-hmm. thinking about that. Uh, so Julia's Wolf 2018 World Fire in My Mouth piece. Well, you won. Yes, congrats. <laughs> we would have been tied if we didn't give you the first one, but. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more of a tie if we're honest. I have a tiebreaker. You want a tiebreaker? This one's easy. Right. All right, whoever answers first. Oh, gosh. Well, that's Zoom. It's going to be hard. Okay. Um, tiebreaker question. Who was an American composer and folk music specialist? Her music was a prominent exponent of emerging modernist aesthetic, and she became a central member of a group of American composers known as the Ultra Moderns. No more. Ruth Prosiga. There you go. No, no, you got me. He knows his stuff. He does. I mean, I'm not surprised. (laughs) Congrats. All right. Well, thank you for doing uh, our Hero Talk trivia with us. Yes, thank you so much. Um, Congrats. Hope, and I think it's hilarious and fun, but yes. that's just our opinion. But I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you for so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed thank talking you. to you. And hopefully those listening will be excited about seeing Antonio and the Hero Conference. It'll be very exciting. Yeah, I can't wait to meet everybody because yeah. the biggest joy of all of this is to share this with like-minded people and, so, you know, also young people. I mm-hmm. This is perhaps not the most appropriate thing, but all the concerts that, that I give around here, it's amazing, but the audience's average is always so, you know, yeah, that's fair. it's 
they're elderly and it's great to share it with them and sometimes they they come to you and say what a big discovery this was for them mm -hmm. at their age and that's fantastic and it's a gift for me but actually to share this with young people like me and you know well I want to consider myself young yeah oh, um, I think yeah. you're yeah. Young. young at heart if anything <laughs> you look young so uh, you see you see what I mean it's yeah it's Oh, nice, actually. Mm -hmm. Well, we loved having you here. When yes. You're definitely reaching those young people through our podcast. So <laughs> right. we are so happy right. to have you. We're very excited to work with you. Now everyone kind of knows what we've been doing behind the scenes. We've been working with Antonio, setting up for the conference. Um, and if you want to learn more, you can go um, to our Instagram at hero.musicians or our website, which is www.her-omusic.com. And Antonio, you want to drop your Instagram as well? Yeah, sure. So my Instagram is antonio.oyarzabal, O-Y-A-R-Z-A-B-A-L. Mm -hmm. um, low mm, thingy. <laughs> How do you say Underscore? That? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so we will... We will um, Put a link to your socials yeah. on in the uh, episode uh, description for th uh, this coming episode. Okay. So we will we'll direct people to you. Don't worry. Okay, that's easier. <laughs> um, but we are so excited, um, and just thank you for your time today, and thank you for talking to it to it with us today.